Well, good evening, everybody, and thank you for joining us tonight at Calvary Vista Online, Calvary Vista Live here for our Wednesday night service. And uh, tonight, we are going to celebrate the Passover. We are actually going to uh, go through the very um, meal that Jesus would have um, had with his disciples on the night uh, before he went to the cross. And so to begin, I want to just read here from Matthew chapter 26, and we're going to read uh, the scene. Verse 1. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings, that he said to his disciples, You know that after two days is the Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. And then the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest, who is called Caiaphas, and plotted to take Jesus by trickery. Now verse 17 says, Now on the first day of the feast of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, "Teacher, The teacher says, My time is at hand, and I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And so the disciples did as Jesus directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve, and now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful, and each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? And he answered, and he said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. And the Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? And he said, You have said it. And as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup and gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins." But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now the Jewish Passover feast that Jesus would have done with his disciples, it had 15 steps. Now, you won't find any of this in Matthew chapter 26, but this is the type of feast that Jesus would have celebrated with his disciples, and it was a feast that had really been in place since the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. 
The Passover feast was that yearly feast that commemorated. It was their looking back to when God had delivered them from the uh, slavery, 400 years of slavery there in Egypt. Now, the word Seder, we call this a Passover Seder. The word Seder means order. And there's 15 steps in this this order because there's a specific order to each one of these things. And a normal Seder would usually take about two hours. But I'm going to try to take us through this tonight in about 30 or 40 minutes. Now, the very first step was called the Kadesh. And the Kadesh spoke of the sanctification of the day. In the Kadesh, the very first step is, is that they would say a blessing to thank the Lord for the year that they had had. And it was also a time of, of thanking them for the year that was ahead. The year that they had had and the year that was ahead. And it was a way also of, of, of that, it was the, 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 the cup it dealt with the cup of sanctification. And in just a moment, we're going to drink of the cup. And in, in your cup, you notice that you'll have one cup. And you need to note that this cup of juice needs to last you through the whole night. You're going to take four sips of it. There's four cups or four sips. And each one, it, it speaks of a, of a different aspect. For instance, the, num- the first cup is the cup of, of sanctification. And the idea is, is it's praying to the Lord, God set us apart unto you. Let us be cleansed to follow you. Lord, make us holy. The second cup was the cup of the plagues. And it was a reminder of the plagues that they went through in Egypt. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. The third cup was the the cup of redemption. And it represented the blood of the Passover lamb that was slain there on that night when the angel of death passed over. It pictured Jesus who would be that final Passover lamb. And then finally, there was the fourth cup, which was the cup of praise. Of that rejoicing, the finishing of, of just rejoicing in the Lord for all that he had done. So the number for the first cup is the cup of sanctification. And, and, and we're going to take this first sip. And, and before we do, though, they would normally pray. A prayer, a prayer of cleansing, a prayer of blessing. And the Jewish people are very, very musical. They would often, you know, pray or they would often sing their prayers. And, you know, the book of Psalms is a whole bunch of songs that they would sing, that David wrote and some others wrote. In fact, they're, they're the songs of lament, but they were all songs. And so what we're going to do tonight, we're going to put our own little Calvary Vista spin on this. And there's going to be several points through uh, this night where I'm going to have Pete actually sing a prayer for us or sing a blessing for us. And I'm going to ask him to do that right now, to sing this prayer before we partake of the cup of sanctification that, that just is asking us to cleanse us, to create in us a clean heart. Go ahead, Pete. Create in me a clean heart. 
Let's take our first sip now of the cup, the cup of sanctification, asking God to cleanse us and thanking him for the year that we just had and the year that is ahead. The next step also had to do with cleansing. It was the washing of the hands. And the Jewish people had a very, very distinct way in which they would wash their hands as part of their ceremonial washing. They would first of all put their hands like this and someone would pour water over the top of their hands and it would run down off of their elbows. But then they would then also take their hands and they'd put them over a bowl like this and somebody would pour it this way. So washing down the hands this way to make sure that you know they got all of the the uh, grime off and, and that cleansing took place. And then the final thing that they would do is they would pour it over their fingertips just in case, um, you know, there was still some residue. And it was just this idea of just saying, God, we want to be completely cleansed before you. Now, we are practicing social distancing here at Calvary Vista, so I'm not going to have anybody come close to pour the water over me, but I'm going to just do the last part, the pouring over the fingertips. You can do this at home if you have your bowl of water. And again, this was just that way of saying to the Lord, Lord, we want to be cleansed. Cleanse us, Lord. Give us clean hands and a pure heart. The third step in the Passover Seder was the carpus. And it involved taking some parsley or some celery. I'm going to take a little piece of parsley here. And you might notice this kind of cloudy cup here, what this is, is this is actually salt water. And so they would take this, and, and I hope it's clear enough for you to see this, where they would take the parsley, and they would dip it in, and then they would hold it up and allow the drops to drop off of it. Do that again. You can see those drops. It looks like a teardrop. And the idea behind this was it was to remind them of the tears that they had when they were in bondage in Egypt. It was to remind them of, of how hard it was. It was to remind them of, of the anguish that they went through under a, 
a, a cruel taskmaster master in Pharaoh. And so what they would do is they would dip that parsley or that celery in that cup of the salt water, let the teardrops fall. And then, and you want to do this, you're not going to like this, but then they would take and they would eat the parsley with the salt water on it. And that's really kind of nasty. <laughs> it's a, it's a uh, bad taste. And there's a purpose for this. And the purpose is the Lord is, was wanting his people to remember the bad taste that, that Egypt had left in their heart. He wants us to remember the bad taste that sin leaves in our life. The bad taste of, of the trials that we go through. You know, this is a hard time that all of us are going through right now. And I know some of you, maybe you have shed some tears. I know a couple weeks ago, Pete was a part of a uh, panel that we were doing up here on a Wednesday night. We were talking about anxiety, talking about how, you know, how are we facing this? And I had with me Rachel Urbina, Aaron Sabio, and Pete. And I remember Pete said that one day he just went and he wept. He just went and he cried. And maybe you have. Maybe you've done that as well. Maybe you've just found yourself a couple times like, Lord, this, this is so hard. Well, I want to remind you. Psalm 56 verse 8 tells us this. The Lord says, you keep track, or the psalmist said, you keep track of all of my sorrows. You have collected all of my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Maybe you were in a place where you were crying, you felt ashamed, or you felt like embarrassed. God saw that. God was there. He was with you. Psalm 34 verse 8 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. That's his heart toward us right now. Tears are good. And the parsley was to remind them of the tears, the dipped in the salt water, the tears, the difficulty that was a part of that whole time in, in Egypt. The fourth step deals with the breaking of the matzah. And this next part of the uh, traditional Jewish feast is one of my favorites because it involves the, the breaking of the matzah bread. And I want you to notice here that I have three different pieces. Now, I don't have matzah. They didn't have that at the supermarket. So I'm using pita bread. But they have th I have three equal pieces here of the pita bread. And here's what they would do. They would take the pita bread these equal pieces of the pita bread and they would put them in a linen bag now I also didn't have a linen bag like the rabbis would use so I have this trusty old handy backpack and I have this because the linen bag that they used had three compartments and this is what you want to take note of so they would take these three equal pieces of the 
matzah bread and they'd put one in the front compartment like I'm doing here. They'd put one in the middle compartment like I'm doing here in the middle of this. And then they would take one and put it in the last compartment, the third compartment. And then this is what was interesting is then they would take the one out of the center of the, of the bag and they would take that one out and they would break it. And then they'd take that broken piece of the matzah and they would wrap it in a linen cloth like this one here that I have before you. And they'd wrap it up like this. And <clears throat> this middle piece of the bread, they gave it a name. It, it was called the Afi Komen. It's the only Greek word used in the entire Seder feast. And it means this. Take note of this. It's really awesome. It means I have come. And get this. The Moroccan Jews, they had this tradition where they would actually take the, the afikomen, this bread wrapped up in the linen cloth, they'd take it home with them when they were going back to Morocco from Jerusalem. And they believed that if they found themselves in the midst of a storm and they threw the afikomen into the storm, that it would actually make the storm waters cease and go calm. Now here's the question. Why would they take three pieces, equal pieces of matzah and put them in one bag? Why the three? And then why would they take the one out of the middle, not the front, not the back, but the one out of the middle and break it and give it a Greek name? And why would the Moroccan Jews believe that this afikomen and wrapped up in the linen cloth could calm a storm if they threw it into the storm? Well, if you ask a Jewish person why there's three pieces, they might tell you that it represents the priest and the Levites and the Jewish people. And then you'd ask them, well, why are the Levites broken? And they go, we don't know. Or why do the Moroccan Jews believe that if you throw it into the water, it'll calm a storm? And again, they would say, we don't know, but we know. You see, the three pieces represent for us they're pictures. Three equal pieces of the matzah put in one bag. Three in one. Does that remind you of something? It reminds us of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And why is the middle one, not the first that represents the Father, not the back that represents the Holy Spirit, why is the middle one taken out? Because it represents Jesus. Why is it given this special Greek name, the Afikomen? I have come. It's because that's what Jesus did. Jesus came. In fact, Jesus means it's Yeshua in the Greek. And Jesus is the one who calms the storms. He did that. Jesus is the one who was broken for us on the cross. Jesus is the one that was wrapped after the, the, being on the cross, was wrapped in linen. And then here's the, the other thing that they would do with this afikomen, is they would take it 
and they'd get one of the little kids in the, in the family, and the little kid would take it, and he would go hide it. None of the other kids could see it. So right now, you might want to do that. But I just want to say, you kids, if you're doing something, don't hide it too hard. We don't have all night, okay? But you want to take this and just go hide it somewhere, and we're going to come back to it in a little bit. But why would they hide it? Why would it be hidden? Because Jesus was hidden for us in the tomb. Now, the Jewish people didn't understand this. They didn't understand why they were doing this, but we do. We understand. And I love how God does this in Scripture as he takes his people and he always has these pictures that were pointing them to Jesus and what Jesus was going to do. Well, it brings us to the fifth step in the Passover Seder. And the, the fifth step was the telling of the story. And this is where they would look back to what happened there in Egypt. And I'm going to just take us there right now. And I want to read to us here from Exodus chapter 12. And in Exodus chapter 12, we have the account of what the Lord told the people of Israel about that first Passover feast. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. That's why they would thank the Lord for the year that they had just had and then also for the year that was coming was because that was the beginning of their year. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, the tenth of Nisan, is that month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to him his house take it according to the number of the persons according to each man's need shall make your count for the lamb and your lamb shall be note this without blemish a male of the first year and you may take it from the sheep or from the goats now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month And then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorpost and on the lintel and on the houses where they eat it. And then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs, and they shall eat it. And do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, and its head with its legs and its entrails. And you shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, and your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. (laughs) For I will come to pass through the land of Egypt on that night. This is why it's called the Passover. 
and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, and both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So what they would do is they would rehearse that story of what took place there on that first Passover night. How on the tenth of Nisan, they were to take a lamb that was without spot and without blemish. And they were to bring it into their houses and they were to keep it there until the 14th day of Nisan. Now there were two purposes for this. The first purpose was so that they could be endeared to that lamb. So the whole family, it would become in a sense like a pet. They'd take it out of the stable and they'd bring it into the house. You know, it's one thing to sacrifice livestock among hundreds that you might have, but it's a whole other thing to sacrifice a living being that has been with you there in your house. But here's what God was doing. Catch this. God was wanting his people to have a connection with this lamb. The second reason why they were to wait those four days, and maybe even more important, was it gave them time to examine it, to make sure that it was without spot and that it was without blemish. Now, here's what's interesting about all of this. Jesus, he rode into the city of Jerusalem at the very beginning of the Passover week on the 10th of Nisan. That was his triumphal entry. We looked at that. That was Palm Sunday. We talked about about that this past weekend. And leading up to the night of Passover, leading up to the night when, when Jesus... Uh, would be betrayed and, and he would then go to the cross. Leading up to that, Jesus was examined. That's what that whole, part of what that whole week was about. The Passion Week was the religious leaders were examining him, trying to trap him. They questioned him on one occasion about um, his authority. Who gave you authority to cleanse the temple? You know, Pete talked about that on Monday, the cleansing of the temple, our little passion mini-study. They asked him about um, paying taxes to Caesar. Should we pay taxes? And again, all the time they were, they were trying to trip him up. They, they asked him, they questioned him on the topic of the resurrection. And if he believed in, in a literal resurrection from the dead... And so all that week, they were examining him. They were trying to trap him. And he came through all of that with flying colors. He came through it without blemish, so much so that they had nothing of which to accuse him. So they had to bring some false, they had to hire some people who could make some false accusations against him. And remember what Pilate said after he examined Jesus? He said to the the whole crowd, he said, I find no fault with this man. You see, the very fact that Jesus was examined like that very first Passover lamb was, 
gives him the right and the authority to be who John the Baptist declared that he was. When John the Baptist announced him, when Jesus came walking down into the Jordan River at his baptism, remember what John said? Behold, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, the children of Israel, they would take that lamb, or they took that lamb, and they slew it. And they took the blood and they put it on the doorpost of their house and upon the lintel. So that it, it made a, the form of a cross, the picture. It was a prophecy in that very first Passover event of Jesus, the Lamb of God, who would come 1,500 years later. And as they would tell the story, they would rehearse. Why did God tell us to make matzah, unleavened bread? Bread that doesn't have any leaven in it. Well, because leaven is a type of sin. It's a picture of sin. And it was God's way of saying, hey, we want your hearts to be cleansed. Why would, did he have them eat bitter herbs? as we read there in the text. And again, it was to remind them of the terrible time that they had in Egypt being slaves. Why did he tell them to gird their waist about with their belts? It's because he wanted his people to realize and understand that his people were to be a people who were on pilgrimage, recognizing that this world is not our home. Well, it was at the end of that telling of the story that they would take their second sip, which we're going to do in just a moment. But before we take the the second sip, this is one last thing that that God would have them do. And this was, was kind of the tradition, is that they would take their finger and they would dip it in the juice and they'd let it drop on their plates and they do this 10 times 10 dips 10 marks on the plate can you guess what that was for the 10 marks the 10 dips represented the 10 plagues how there in Egypt the river the Nile River was turned to blood how God brought frogs like in abundance Some of you kids might like frogs. Well, you wouldn't like this many. But I do find it very odd that when Moses, when finally Pharaoh was like, enough with the frogs. And Moses came to him and said, you know, when do you want me to take them away? And he says, give us one more night. (laughs) One more night. What was he thinking? The plague of the frogs, the plague of lice. Oh, that just makes me sick. Gross. The plague of the flies. The plague of their livestock being stricken. The plague of the boils that came upon all the people of Egypt. The plague of the hail like they had never seen before hail. The plague of the locusts that came in and decimated all of their crops and all of their land. The plague of the darkness that fell over the land. And then the final, the tenth plague, the the, the tenth dip of the finger put in the plate. was that night when the angel of death passed over, taking the life 
of every firstborn in Egypt whose home was not covered by the blood of the Lamb. And so they would remember that, and that's what this second sip, the cup of the plagues, was about. So let's take that second sip. After this came the sixth step. And this was another hand washing that they would go through. And hand washing with a blessing. And you might be thinking to yourself, you know, they just dipped their finger all that time in in the uh, juice. And so I'm going to pour a little bit of water on my finger here. And this is what they would do to cleanse themselves. You might wonder, why all the washings? I mean, we read all the time where God, you know, had his people wash. We read in the New Testament of of them talking about, you know, the different washings that would take place. Why did God have his people wash so much? (laughs) We should be able to answer that question today. What are we hearing all the time right now? Hey, wash your hands. You touch something, you go outside, you go, go, you know, wash your hands, 20 seconds. Or Perellum, you know, use some Perel. It was about cleanliness. And here's what's interesting. Because this was a ritual among the Jewish people. And when the plagues hit Europe, when the Black Plague hit Europe, and a third of Europe died... You know, it was very interesting that many Jewish communities were hardly affected during that at all. Why? Because many of them practiced this ritual that God had instituted in his word in the book of Leviticus about washing. And this reminds us, church, because sometimes we can sit there and think, you know, why does God tell us these things? You know, why does he give us these commandments? Why does he say that we shouldn't do this or we shouldn't do that? And, and we often think that God's commandments are meant to make our lives more difficult. But in actuality, they're given for our good. They're given because he loves us. It says, as my friend John Corson often would say, he'd say this, sin is not bad because it's forbidden. But it's forbidden. Because it's bad. And God says, hey, I love you, so stay away from this because it's going to hurt you. It's like you who have young kids. It's like what I do with my grandson, Josiah, when he's getting near something that I know is going to hurt him. It's like, Josiah, don't go there. Don't touch that. No, you're going to get an owie. And that's God's heart. And so he gives us these instructions about our spiritual cleanliness because he loves us and he wants to keep us holy. Well, that brings us to step number seven. We're halfway there. And in step number seven, it was the matzah, and this was the blessing before eating the matzah. And after they had washed their hands, they would take the matzah and they would lift it up before the Lord. And they would sing, or they would pray a prayer of blessing. And right now, I'm going to ask Pete to sing us a prayer of blessing right now as we go ahead and lift up your matzah and let's sing this together with Pete right now.
So after that prayer of blessing, they would take the matzah, this piece of matzah, and they would actually break it into four pieces. And I want to encourage you to just go ahead and do that right now. Just break it into four pieces. And what's interesting about this particular part of the Seder, this is exactly what we read that Jesus did when he took the bread and he broke it. And in John chapter 13, in his account of this story, John tells us this. He says, Now there was leaning on the night that night when they were in that upper room and they're sitting at table. I don't know how well you can see this drawing, but the, the table that they sat at was probably even lower than this because they sat not in chairs, but they kind of re- reclined on their bottoms and they would kind of sit back and they would, you know, lean against each other. And those of you who've gone to Israel with us and we go to Abraham's, you know, feast and, and you know, some of you um, who went with us the first time, we sat that way. The second time I asked him, can we please sit in chairs? Because it was really, really uncomfortable to sit that long in that way. But it says, now, that, now there was leaning on, on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom he loved. And that was John. And John always had this way of identifying himself as the one whom Jesus loved. Like he didn't love the rest of them, but, you know, he really, really loved him. And it's kind of interesting because you read the Gospels and, you know, the disciples of Jesus were a lot like your kids. They had this rivalry. You know, John, when he would write about running to the tomb, it says that him and when they heard the news that Jesus was risen, that, that you know, they ran together, but that John outran Peter. And he was faster. He was younger. In John chapter 21, when Jesus is telling Peter all the suffering he's going to go through. Remember what Peter did? Peter was like, what about him? Pointing at John. And Jesus said, don't worry about him. You follow me. That's such a good word for us. There's all those times we want to compare ourselves with others and think, well, how come this is happening to them and not, you know, happened to me and not to them? And, and God's saying, hey, don't worry about them. You follow me. But on this night, John is sitting there where he would have been leaning on the chest, if you would, of Jesus as they were reclining there at the table. 
And it says, Simon Peter therefore motioned to him. This is to John. To ask him who, who, who it was whom he spoke. Talking about when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. And then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, sort of a whisper, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is he to whom I give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon. And now after the piece of bread, Satan entered into Judas. And then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to Judas. So here's what they would do. Is they would take that bread as they're reclining. And Jesus is leaning, uh, or John's leaning against um, Jesus. And, and Judas, this is the one that Jesus would have taken the, the, the bread and he would have dipped it and, and given it to Judas. Judas was the one that was leaning against him. Judas on that night was kind of in that place of the most prominent. Kind of interesting. It's the night that he would betray him. But they would take a piece of the matzah, and this is where you can do it, and you can kind of dip it in your applesauce, that sweet stuff, and go ahead and take a bite of it this time. At this point, step number nine, called the mayar. And this is where they would partake of the bitter herbs. And they would take their, their lettuce, go ahead and take your piece of lettuce, and they would dip it, first of all, and go ahead and do this, in the bitter herbs. Now, I have here some, for my bitter herbs, they, would have, they used horseradish, I didn't have any of that, so I have some gray poupon mixed with some bitter herbs in it, Okay. So they would take that, and it was meant to be nasty. It was meant to be like, oh, wow. Because immediately after that, they were to take it and they were to dip it in the sweet stuff again and eat of that. Much better. And the reason for that, I'm going to chew so I don't speak with my mouth closed or my mouth open. Is it was a way of God reminding his people that after the time of trials, there comes a sweetness. And again, I believe that that is a word for us right now. That after the time, and we're in a trial right now, but after this, there's going to be a time of sweetness. And it's going to be sweet when we all are able to come together again. It's going to be sweet when we see what God has done and how he's touched our lives during this time of isolation and difficulty. Well, this brings us to step number 10. Step number 10 was known as the Hallel Sandwich. 
Hillel was one of the prominent rabbis in Israel. And this is what he would do. He would take some of the lettuce and he would smother it in the horseradish. So go ahead and do that right now. Or your gray poupon, whatever you want to do. And then he'd take it and he would put it between two of the pieces of the matzah. Now this was one of the last additions to the Passover Seder. And the reason for it was this. This was the the idea behind why this was instituted. Is that the bitterness of the horseradish in the lettuce was surrounded by the sweetness of the matzah. And it was to categorize how that really, really bitter event of the time that they were in slavery was surrounded by two of the patriarchs of Israel. On the, on the one hand, you had Joseph who helped save his people from the famine. Remember when Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers? He goes to Egypt, and as he's there in Egypt, he becomes the second in command, and he ends up being the one that saves his people. And the children of Israel come, Jacob and all of his brothers, all of Joseph's brothers and their families, there's 70 people in all. And they end up spending 400 years there in Egypt. Not all of it was bad. 400 years and they grew to this incredible nation of over 2 million people. And then it was, we have the other end of the other piece of the matzah. And that was Moses who God used to lead them out of Egypt. And so that's what this 10th step, the Hillel sandwich, spoke of. is God raising up in the midst of the bitterness on both ends of it, heroes and Joseph and Moses. And it's a reminder to us of how the trials are often sandwiched between good things. And you know, I think it's interesting to me that in the midst of this feast, and I want you to hear this. The Lord kind of spoke to my heart about this today. In the midst of this feast, several different times, that God is wanting, there's some aspect of the feast that that deals with bitterness, whether it's the tears or the parsley or the the bitter herbs, the horseradish, because God is always wanting us to remember what sin does. He wants us to remember the effect that it has upon our lives so that we don't want to go back there. Let's remember that as we partake of step number 10, the Hillel sandwich. Now we come to step 11. And step 11 was the eating of the main meal. Now, this was a part in the service that would take a long time. It might take an hour 
Obviously, we're not going to do that tonight. But they would take the lamb. I don't have lamb up here tonight. I have chicken. Nice piece of chicken. It's okay. (laughs) And they would also take some hard-boiled egg. I have some egg here. And what's interesting about this is the lamb obviously was eaten because it spoke of the lamb that was slain. The lamb whose blood was poured out to put on the doorpost that would be the covering over their sin. But why the eggs? Eggs speak in the Jewish life of new life. And that's what God was doing. It was a, he was doing a new thing. It was new life. It was, a, it was a new beginning. And I find that so interesting that it's connected with the Passover here right around the time where we celebrate Easter because we often think that this whole Easter egg thing is a you know part of a pagan holiday. And there is some truth in that. But I think that even before that, God had instituted way back when for his people to have as part of their dinner, part of their, of their um, celebration of Passover, that eating of the egg, to remind them of the new life that he was giving. And you know, that's what Easter is all about. Jesus came out of the grave so that we could have new life. So there's a lot to eat during this particular time. And so I'm going to have Pete once again sing us a song as we partake here of this meal, the main part of the meal. So go ahead and do that. Have some of the the chicken or whatever it is that you and your family are are partaking of in the egg, and then we'll head into step 10 after 12 after he's done. That brings us to step number 12, the eating of the afikoman. 
And it was at this point in the service where the kids would go and try to find the piece of bread wrapped in the linen cloth that had been broken to go and try and find it and bring it back. So if you want to go ahead and take a few minutes, those of you in your family, if you had one of the kids go and hide it, just go and try to find it real quick. We'll wait a couple seconds for them to come back. But as they're looking, I want to mention this, that it was at this point in the feast that Jesus gave new insight to it. As he took, we're told there in Matthew 26, verse 26, that Jesus took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said to them, he said, take and eat for this is my body. Luke's gospel puts it this way. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And you know, that's what we're doing every single time that we gather together, that we partake of communion. We're remembering his death. We're remembering his sacrifice. We're remembering what he did for us. And so let's take that bread that was wrapped up, the afikoman, and let's, let's go ahead and take a, a bite of it now. And it was at this point in the Seder, once again, they're, they're remembering the lamb that was slain there on that first Passover night. But it was on this night that they would drink their, take the third sip from the cup, the cup of redemption. And once again, Jesus gave new insight into this. On that night, we're told there in Matthew chapter 26, verse 27, we read it earlier. It says, then he took the cup and he gave thanks and he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Here's what Jesus was saying. This feast that you have been celebrating your whole lives, it's about me. And it has always been about me. And so Jesus would have them take the cup. And I'm just going to take right now and just pray for the cup and what it represents for us. Lord, I thank you that this cup represents your blood. The blood of the new covenant. The blood that you was shed there on Calvary over 2,000 years ago that cleanses us from all of our sin. And that all along, that blood, the, the cup, the cup of redemption that Israel didn't completely understand, we understand that you came to be the final 
Passover lamb. That we don't need to sacrifice lambs anymore because you were sacrificed for us. But we do this, Lord. We do this now in remembrance of you. Thank you, Lord, for your blood that was shed to make us whole. Let's partake of the cup together. I also think it's interesting that Jesus said to his disciples, I'm not going to partake of this again until I come back. And we partake of it together in my Father's kingdom. And that reminds us of something so important, church. This is our hope. Jesus is coming back. We were told to pray by Jesus. Pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the ultimate of that is when Jesus comes to set up his kingdom, that we're going to be a part of it. And we're going to partake of this very feast with Jesus there in Jerusalem. This brings us to the 13th part of the Seder. And this was the blessing after eating. And this is where they had a a very special part of their tradition. That was later became a part of the Passover feast. It wasn't on that first night, but you might have been noticing that this kind of more fancy goblet that I have here, sitting here on the edge of the table. Well, they would always have a cup, one goblet, one cup, empty cup that was there or or it was actually it would have been filled this one's empty and it was there for Elijah they would even have a special chair that they would sit there at the table we didn't have a special chair so I left it blank but imagine kind of a more fancy chair here and that was because Malachi had spoken that Elijah would come again before the Messiah. When the Messiah would come, that Elijah would come before him, that he would be his predecessor, that they believed that Elijah was going to come to planet Earth again before the Messiah would come. What's interesting about that is we're told in the New Testament about John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus, that John came in the spirit of Elijah. And many, many scholars believe that John the Baptist was actually born in late March, early April, or right around the time of the Passover. Now, we do know, the Bible tells us, that Elijah is going to come before the second coming of Christ. But John the Baptist, the forerunner, was was sort of a, a picture of him. That fulfillment taking place there in the New Testament. Well, that brings us to the 14th step. And this was the psalm of praise. And this is where they would read from one of the Hallel songs, psalms there in the Old Testament. And one of the ones that they would often read from is Psalm 118 which I want to read to you tonight. But here's what I want you to do as I read this. I want you to picture Jesus on this night reading this psalm. 
And I want you to listen as I read this and imagine what it would have been like for Jesus to read this psalm that spoke so much about what he was going to, what was going to happen to him right after this. Let me read it to you. Psalm 118 says this. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let Israel say now, his mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron now say, his mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord now say, his mercy endures forever. I called on the Lord in distress, and the Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? It is better to trust in the Lord than to put your confidence in princes. All nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me. Yes, they have surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surround me like bees, and they were quenched like a fire of thorns. For in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. You pushed me violently that I might fall. But the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation in the tents of the righteous, the right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. Now listen to this part. Imagine Jesus reading this. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness, and I will go through them. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I pray, Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's what they were saying on Palm Sunday. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endures forever. I want you to think about what it must have been like for Jesus to read that, knowing that it was talking about him, that salvation had come, that this was the day that the Lord had made, that the sacrifice was going to be bound to the altar, that he would be the cornerstone that the builders rejected. It's a great psalm, but, but it's also, you know, a, a fact that as they were building the temple, there was one stone that they, didn't, they couldn't figure out what it was, and they, they threw it over into the Kidron Valley, and later they had to go back and fetch it because they realized that it was the cornerstone, which was the most important stone in the entire building. And most of you know that that refers back to that time when they were building Solomon's temple. And that stone that they rejected, the New Testament authors tell us that that stone was Jesus. 
that Jesus is the, the chief cornerstone upon which the church is built. And Peter says, he's the cornerstone, and you and I are living stones being built together as we're connected to him. And so it was at that time that Jesus would read that psalm or one of the Hillel songs. And then that takes us to the final step, step 15, the conclusion. And this is when they would take their cup and it would be the final cup, cup of blessing. And they would hold up their cups and they would say these words, next year in Jerusalem. In fact, right now, as Jews all over the world are partaking of Passover, they're saying, next year in Jerusalem. And what did that mean? Does that mean that, that they're thinking, you know, hey, next year, let's, hopefully we can all travel to Jerusalem. For some of them, it might have meant that. But in reality, it was their belief. You see, the Jewish people, they, they believe their Messiah hasn't come yet. And their prayer and their hope is that Messiah is going to come and restore all things and that we will be with him. And so it was their way of saying, Messiah, come. Come now. For 1,500 years, that was the desire of every single Jew. But on this night, when Jesus was with his disciples on this Passover, Jesus was in Jerusalem. He was there with his disciples. And that night, that prayer was being fulfilled. Messiah was there. They would say, next year in Jerusalem, and it was, hey, it's now. It's me. I'm here. And they would partake of that final sip of the cup. Let's do that. And so this beautiful, beautiful event that the Jewish people would, and still to this day, do every single year to commemorate God's faithfulness and God's deliverance. But the problem for so many of them is they're still looking for it. But the joy that we have is knowing that that redemption, that deliverance has come. Because Jesus, he's that Passover lamb. Jesus is the one. In fact, this coming Friday, we're going to celebrate this as we celebrate Good Friday, 6 o'clock here online. Pastor Aaron's going to be teaching, and then I'm going to lead you in communion together. As we once again, we think about how his body was given for us, his blood was shed, but the fact that every single thing that, that or so much of what this feast that they celebrated spoke of was the deliverance that Jesus was going to bring that would deliver us from the bitterness, from the pain, from the bondage of sin. And he would give us new life as we put our trust in him. We read there in Matthew 26, verse 30, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And as this concludes our Seder, I'm going to have Pete lead us in a final song tonight before we go our way. Let's do that.
Shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. you church and I want to remind you this Sunday Easter Sunday and the day that everything rides upon because Paul said if Jesus did not rise again from the dead that our faith is in vain and of all people in all the world we should be pitied it's like those poor silly Christians but we know that Jesus has risen that he is alive that he is our hope 
that we rest and we trust in Him. And I want to encourage you to join us online for Easter at Home, right here at Calvary Vista. We have three opportunities that you can choose from. 6.30 a.m., we're going to have sunrise. It'll be on the screen behind me. 8.30 and 11 a.m., we'll have our normal service times. But I also want to encourage you, church, because this is a time where people all over the world need hope. And I want to encourage you on our Instagram, Calvary Vista Instagram page, Calvary Vista Facebook page, we have our our Easter graphic and invitation there. Would you please share that with friends? Just go through your contact list and just share it. You know, you have people that, that they're, they're somewhere else and, and they're, they're watching. Someone told me today that their family is in Florida and they're watching us every single week. I know people in other parts of the world that are watching us. It's cool. Because God's word is going forth. And we're going to have some great music. And it's going to be a real special time. So join us for that. And I pray that you have an awesome evening. Hope you enjoyed this tonight. It's the first time I've ever, ever done one of these. And uh, normally, you know, a, a rabbi doing this would have on his, you know, rabbi cloak and his yarmulke. Uh, I don't have any of that. I might get some for next time when I'm in Israel. Um, but I will say this. that Because of this whole COVID-19 thing, um, my hair is like growing longer and longer because I can't get it cut. So if this goes much longer, I'll start looking like Jesus. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, I'm feeling how you, some of you ladies are just struggling with that right now, the, the whole hair thing. So anyway, love you. God bless you. And uh, can't wait to have you join us for Good Friday, 6 p.m., And Easter Sunday, it's going to be an awesome, awesome time. Love you, church. God bless.